Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am so happy to continue my fascinating conversation with Dr. Andrew B. Newberg. Dr. Newberg is currently the research director at the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health at Thomas Jefferson University and Hospital in Philadelphia. He is a professor in the Department of Integrative Medicine and Nutritional Sciences with a secondary appointment in the Department of Radiology at Thomas Jefferson University and is adjunct professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Penn. He is board certified in internal medicine and nuclear medicine. Dr. Newberg has been particularly interested and involved in the study of mystical and religious experiences, a field he refers to as neurotheology. He has also studied the more general mind-body relationship in both the clinical and research aspects of his career, including understanding the physiological correlates of acupuncture therapy and meditation and other types of alternative therapies. And you can read more about his bio in our show notes. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. And we will now just continue with our conversation from last week. Do you feel that there is a transformation starting to take place with, you know, the work that you do and millions of people talking about their NDEs and their spiritually transformative experience? Do you think that that is, um, there are being changes? You know, I, yeah, I, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, I, I, again, I mean, you know, science is fantastic, and 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 what we've been able to achieve technologically uh, is is terrific. And obviously, we have hopefully, you know, many 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 years and many many things to come as far as science goes. But but there are certain aspects of humanity in, in terms of morals, in terms of societal approaches. Um, you know, what's right and wrong, and how we treat each other, and how we think about a connection to the world, and uh, you know, well, and science, you know, is always traditionally has always said that science is really good at the how questions, but isn't always good with the why questions. Um, so, you know, why is the world the way it is, and why are we the way we are, and, and you know, how are we supposed to act as human beings? Um, so, so I, I think that there really is an opportunity to to do a lot of exploration and try to to learn um, from both the scientific and spiritual paths to to try to put something together that helps to bring people. Uh, around to a, a a different way of thinking about things, and and we do see, we see it in bits and pieces. You know, people ask me this in the context of healthcare, um, and so certainly, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, it was very biologically oriented. And again, I mean, that was you know, uh, the medicine of the 20th century was fantastic at bringing antibiotics and surgery and, and so many different therapeutic interventions to help people with things that we never could help with before, uh, and that's great. But um, uh, but 
you know, there has also been a growing interest in integrative medicine and, and trying, you know, understanding the spiritual side of ourselves, the psychological side, the social side of ourselves, uh, and that all of those different dimensions of who we are as a person need to be understood if we're going to do the best to help, help each other and help heal each other. So, uh, you know, I do hope that as time goes on, as we learn about these experiences and as people develop a greater level of openness, um, that we do come to some better, uh, you know, a more global enlightenment, if you will, of humanity. Um, I, I think we're still kind of far from it, but, um, but I, and I don't say that in a pessimistic way inherently, but, um, <laughs> but we have a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like um, Western civilization is also um, appreciating or opening up their eyes to what the indigenous cultures have taught us and have known all along, right. you know, with all of their traditions or cultural, you know, the drumming, the, which you talk a little bit about how that can kind of put you into the meditative state. So I think we have so much to learn from them. Have you scanned anyone like a shaman that is on my list. Um, yeah, we haven't we haven't studied shamans yet. Um, you know, we've talked about doing some kind of drumming, you know, study of drumming rituals. Um, haven't had an opportunity right. to see that. Uh, you know, most of the practices that we've looked at have been more sort of meditative or prayer practices. Um, but we have done some some rituals. Um, you know, we we did a study of speaking in tongues, which was a really fascinating study. And of course, you know, much wow. more energetic and and you know more more related to I think you know a drumming kind of concept, but, um, and there have been a few studies that have looked at drumming uh, itself. And, and, you know, we've talked about this in the context of the brain and the body um, that uh, rhythmic repetitive stimuli such as drumming uh, affect the autonomic nervous system, which can be either an arousal, you know, there's, there's two arms of the autonomic nervous system. There's the arousal and then there's the, the calming or the sympathetic and the parasympathetic as they're called scientifically. Right. So, um, you know, very rapid drumming gets our bot gets that arousal system revved up it gets our brain revved up it gets us ready to go that's why they you know play rock and roll music before you have a football game you don't play you know a mozart concerto um but maybe you'll play a mozart <laughs> concerto before you go to sleep so you can have this nice you know, beautiful music yeah. to go and that, that kind of calms and slows things down and the same is true with spiritual experiences i mean they can be very energizing they can be very calming and some can actually be a mixture of both which is also very fascinating yeah, it's, it's really great stuff. So I know um, that you've been asked how to cultivate this, I'm still going to call it the flow state. And in your book, um, you talk about the five basic steps to find your personal enlightenment. So can you talk about those? Well, the, the first caveat is that, you know, no one can ever guarantee enlightenment. And so we always say, when we were writing yeah. this and I said, well, I, you know, I don't want anybody to come away with this thing, calling me up and saying, hey, I followed that, what you said, and it didn't happen. Um, <laughs> it's not a so, protocol. Right. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's no absolute way. And, and, and part of what is built into the steps that we talk about is the unique elements of it, you know, the, or the uniqueness of it for each individual. And so, uh, you know, part of it, I think, to start with is a person um, in some sense, kind of consciously becoming aware of the desire to, to become enlightened, to, to be transformed. Um, that doesn't have, I mean, and I, I should also mention, I mean, you know, there are experiences and, and we, we have recorded a number of these experiences through our survey 
of these things happening to people spontaneously, you know, where they weren't trying for it. And it, so it does happen, you know, you can, can get struck by lightning without necessarily, you know, holding a, a lightning rod. But, um, but if you, you know, more specifically want to try it, then part of it is to prepare yourself for it. it you know, trying to, to find ways of, of making sure that you are ready for it, that you're prepared for it, um, that you're open to it. And so that, that's part of it. It's just, you know, trying to, to bring yourself to that level of awareness and, um, and to be able to sort of uh, help yourself to be able to make yourself prepared for that experience. Now, one of the, the key elements, is, which is where the individualization of it occurs uh, for any given individual, uh, is to find the, the rituals, the practices we've just been talking about that work best for you. And so, you know, if you are a particularly religious individual, it may be through religious practices that are part of your tradition. Um, if you like drumming, if you like art, music, you know, whatever, there can be lots of different ways of trying to actually accomplish it. But, but the goal ultimately is to find some type uh, or some group of ritual activities that you can continue to sort of bring yourself to that keep connecting you to the to to ultimately kind of the perspective of reality that you're striving for, uh, and then and then finally, um, you know, the, the the one of the key pieces, and we've talked about this a little bit as well, is this sense of letting go, the sense of allowing it to happen, uh, and and in fact, what's that? Your Hindu teacher. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. I was about to say that, you know, I mean, that was part of what led into that experience that I had of this infinite doubt, which was I kept striving to find the answer. And I reflected on, as you mentioned, what my Hindu teacher said, that sometimes you have to go after it and sometimes you have to let it come to you. And I said, all right, well, you know what, I, I, I've been trying to go after it now for a long time. Let me just wait and see what happens. And then that was when uh, this next experience occurred. And so, so part of it, you know, whether you're striving to connect with God, whether you're striving to, to connect with the universe, with the world, you know, whatever it is that there, you, you know, as you strive, there is this, you know, uh, this, this letting go as well. And it, it may not be all one way and then all the other, it could be back and forth, but that ultimately through that letting go, through that surrendering process, um, we feel that that's part and parcel of where that kind of experience ultimately you know, eventually comes from, and whether or not it will happen or not, you know, we, we never know for sure. Uh, and then the final part is is the reflective part after the transformative experience. Exactly. Um, that you know, how do you bring that into your life? And and because enlightenment is an interesting term because you might have a moment of enlightenment, which is the you know that experience that, uh -huh. that aha moment, yeah. um, and then you have enlightenment, which is the you know the per the, um, uh, the 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 persistent state that arises from that kind of experience and so for the people who have had that experience um, you know they they often describe a great deal of transformations that occur uh, it changes the way they think about you know their meaning and purpose in life um, their sense of death uh, their sense of relationships um, their sense of their you know their job uh, health and and all you know virtually everything. And, and in our book, uh, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain, we talk about our survey and we ask people questions about these changes wow. uh, and uh, really remarkable. I mean, 90, 95% of people talk about them in, pos in a positive way as changing their spirituality, their religion, their, their sense of you know, meaning and purpose and so forth. So, uh, and very few people really talk about it as a negative experience. Now that in and of itself is an interesting thing 
uh, and something that uh, neurotheology, I hope, will be, and this will be a real area of future research for neurotheology, which is the negative side, uh, the negative side of religion and spirituality, the negative side of these experiences, because there are times where it goes wrong. And, um, and you know, obviously, there are cults um, where, you know, people will kill themselves in the end or something like that. There are terrorists who are willing to, you know, strap a bomb around their chest and kill people who don't agree with the way they, they think. Um, so these are ways in which religion has gone badly, so to speak, um, or certainly destructively, uh, both for the individual as well as for the larger um, society. So, uh, you know, hopefully one of the things that neurotheology can help us understand is what happens when religion takes us in a positive direction and when spiritual pursuits take us in a negative direction. Uh, try to understand that, try to understand why somebody goes in that negative direction, and then ultimately help them to be able to be redirected towards something that becomes more positive. Uh, because, I mean, it is fascinating. I mean, obviously, there's people who go to, you know, terrorist websites and say, that sounds good. You know, that sounds like a great pl uh, plan. Let's, let's go kill people. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not a lot, but, um, you know, there, it's a fascinating question, you know, is it, is it a mental disorder? Is it, uh, the, you know, some other characteristics that go on? How do rituals play into it? Um, you know, so there's a lot of different questions that we have to think about uh, with the ultimate goal of, hope, like I said, hope, hopefully trying to, to direct people into the more positive ways of being, both for themselves as well as for society. Right. Do you, and I think um, to follow up with the first part of that um, conversation is you, you talk to the near-death experiencers and as profound as the experiences are, it's what happens after. I mean, it totally changes their yeah. lives for, well, for the good of everyone I've talked Well, other than integrating back into right. this, <laughs> this reality. So there, is, there are definitely um, ups and downs. I noticed that you, I, I don't think you use them synonymously, but religion and spirituality, no. because so many people now, including myself, I'll say, well, I'm not really religious, but I'm spiritual, because I think of religious as being the dogma and the lessons and the rules and the beliefs and all of that sort of thing. So you you kind of use um, use it together sometimes. Right. Um, Do you separate them in your own mind? Yeah, so um, I wrote a book uh, a number of years ago called The Principles of Neurotheology, and, and the first principle is about definitions. Um, and and mm -hmm. religion and spirituality are obviously at the top of the list in terms of trying to figure out how we define them. Uh, in fact, you know, one of the exercises I love to do with a group of people who I might be giving a talk to is to go up, you know, on a board and write religiosity or religiousness, spirituality, right. and then ask them. And I have never gotten, you know, two of the same answers uh, or the same list. And um, so often, as you mentioned, I mean, you might have somebody say, well, you know, religion really is is the dogma, it's the rules that you have to do stuff by. But somebody say, well, yeah, but, you know, I, I do yoga and it's very spiritual, but there's rules. I mean, I have to do certain things in certain ways in order to accomplish that. Um, and then somebody say, well, spirituality is really more the experience and religion is more sort of like the, you know, the codification of what you need to do. And somebody also say, yeah, but I feel experiences religious. Um, so, you know, those are things that I have to, you know, uh, those are things that different people look at in very different ways. And then, you know, it becomes even more intriguing when you start to talk about definitions in the context of 
who decides what these definitions should be? And, and I don't mean that quite so you know, uh, harshly, but you know, should we ask a group of theologians what the difference is? Should we ask a group of philosophers, sociologists, uh, regular people? You know, I mean, who should we ask about this? Um, and uh, and so uh, and and then of course again, you know, applying this to not just religion and spirituality, but to the words like such as God, uh, you know. Uh, uh, soul, spirit, consciousness, mind. Um, so all of those really um, are, are very interesting and very challenging for us to figure out. Uh, my guess is that whatever definitions we come with today, come about today, they will change and adapt over time. But, but one of the things, you know, going back to my point about asking questions, um, I think it is fundamental for us to ask more and more questions about each of these kinds of things. So, you know, it'd be wonderful to ask a thousand regular people, how they define spirituality, how they define religion, not just ask the famous theologians or the Pope sitting in the Vatican, but what do what everyday right. people think? And so, uh, but, but because of that issue, um, you know, I usually do try to use religion and spirituality together at least so that I'm inclusive. Um, but I do recognize that there are distinctions and there are, uh, you know, if you do, there's a two by two grid, you know, there's people who are religious and spiritual, um, which, you know, if you look at the U.S. population is probably about maybe 60% or so. Um, there's people who are what your description is, they're spiritual, but not religious. That's a growing group, maybe about 15 to 20% or so. There are atheists who are neither spiritual nor religious. Um, and then there's actually people who are religious and not spiritual you know, which, which is interesting. Um, I sometimes think that people who consider themselves to be like cultural Jews, for example, um, exactly. follow the guidelines yeah. of the religion, but they don't necessarily feel something spiritual. Um, you yeah. know, uh, right. but, but again, sometimes it also has to do with how you define spirituality, because I, I know that a lot of times people define uh, spirituality as being more sort of of the occult or of you know, supernatural stuff without necessarily meaning that it has to do with God. So, uh, you know, there, there, there are a lot of different fascinating issues that come up. Um, the definitions, the, how we come to those definitions and what we decide to use for our definitions uh, is, is of fundamental importance to neurotheology in general. And, and of course, um, you know, the, the larger discussion about religion and spirituality as well. Right. Um, well, we have to wrap it up, but I, I have three more quick questions. <laughs> the first one is, if it's not too personal, um, could you share with us an experience that you've had that was spiritually transformative for you? Well, I, 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 I think, you know, the, the one that really uh, kind of did it for me was, was the infinite doubt experience. Um, and that, um, right. you know, even though I had that when I was in my 20s, um, uh, stays with me. Um, it, it is an experience that I come back to quite often uh, in my own way of thinking about things. And, and interestingly, um, I guess, you know, maybe the other piece that I didn't mention is that uh, for me, my, while I recognized that there was this infinite doubt and that, you know, in some sense, we may never know anything. Um, I also realized that there is a great deal of strength in coming from that perspective to ask questions about the world. And so um, that has really sort of propelled my career and the, the paths and the directions that it's gone and my life in the, in the directions that it's gone in terms of how I try to uh, deal with people and talk to people and, and you know encourage people to ask their own questions. 
uh, and challenge people and so forth. Um, and so uh, that to me was, was the experience that kind of changed my way of thinking about things. And, uh, uh, you know, again, I still sort of feel like all of it has been this massive path, but yes, um, it was definitely a major turning point in that path. <laughs> and something that you didn't mention when we were talking about the basic steps, um, of course, there's always that dark night of the yeah. soul or the hero's journey, whichever you want to call, you know, something that really, like what happened to me, you know, just shakes your right. world out of control. And that certainly can set, you know, certainly set me on a, on a spiritual mm. path. Um, so I love, I love the name of the book. Why doesn't God go away? <laughs> and why doesn't God go, go away <laughs> in 30 seconds or less? <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, well, you know, the simple answer is that our brain functions in, in certain ways that map very well onto the, the things that religion in particular or spirituality is, is helping us to do. And what I mean by that, we, we, we identify two basic functions of the brain. One is self-maintenance and the other is self-transcendence. And so self-maintenance means how we kind of regulate and control our lives so that we can survive. And self-transcendence has to do with how we adapt and continue to advance ourselves, meaning that, you know, I'm still the same person I was technically when I was five years old and 10 years old and 20 years old, but I have transcended that. I, I'm now something a little bit different um, and, and I continue to transcend myself as time goes on. So now if we look at religion um, and spirituality, we look at the concept of God, uh, does God help us in either of those regards? Well, yes. I mean, religions uh, historically and, and, and to today help people to gain some control over their lives, some control over the world and how they're, you know, it teaches them about how to interact with the world, it gives people a sense of morals, what's right to do, what's wrong to do. Um, and basically helps, you know, especially when you start to look at uh, a huge amount of new data over the last 15, 20 years about how practices like meditation and prayer reduce depression, reduce anxiety, improve, you know, uh, mortality and so forth. It helps with self-maintenance. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, religions also help with self-transcendence, both in a, a kind of, you know, stage of life mode. So religions give you rituals for birth, uh, growing up rituals, uh, marriage rituals, death rituals. So the whole cycle of our lives, you know, the religions help you to transcend those stages of life from one stage to the next, and in many ways provides the ultimate sense of transcendence, which is the kind of thing that we were talking about, the enlightenment type of experience. So, so now going back to my original statement, since both religion and the brain foster the concepts of self-transcendence and self-maintenance, they match up very well in terms of what they're, what they're trying to do for us. So unless our brain radically changes in terms of what it's trying to do for us, the notions of God and religion and spirituality will be here, I think, for a very long time to come. Do you feel that when someone passes, they go to a higher dimension? I don't know. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, it's, it's obviously a, a question for the ages. Um, you know, yeah. we we yeah. go somewhere because whatever we whatever configuration we are, we are no longer. Um, we become sort of reconnected to the universe. Um, uh, I remember there was a 
an author whose name I forget, but he asked the question not so much as, is there life after death, but is there consciousness after death? Because um, yes. we all become something else. <laughs> that we know. Um, the question is, do I remember myself as Andrew Newberg uh, in that next configuration? And that, I don't know. Um, you know, I, right. I, you get a lot of answers with media. Well, right. I, mean, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> um, yes, yes. You know, yes, I, yes. I, I, I don't know. Um, but, um, but I, I think you know, part of what I've kind of gathered through all of my research is that, again, I mean, we, we certainly evolve and become something else. We, we do reconnect to the world in different kinds of ways, uh, and how much the, the specifics of who we are is maintained. Um, I don't know exactly, but, um, but I, I guess I've often kind of come to the idea that we are sort of intimately intertwined with each of us is intimately intertwined with the universe. And so, you know, even if we, our current configuration does go away, um, the impact that we have made on the universe never goes away. And so, right. so we're always here, uh, in one form or another, but, um, I'm not sure whether, it's exactly the way other everyone thinks it happens. <laughs> right, right, of course, of course. So my last question is, we've talked about an hour and we haven't, um, the word love hasn't come up. So where does, where does love fit in, fit into all of this? Well, you know, love is also an important term to define. Um, and, uh, you know, what does that mean exactly? You know, one of the things I was intrigued by in looking at the people's descriptions of spiritual experiences and, and experiencing God, for example, I mean, some people said, I felt God. Uh, some people said, I felt an energy. Some people said, I felt a force. Right. And of course, some people said, I felt love. And, um, and so one of the big questions, of course, is, did everyone feel the same thing? And then they just defined it differently. Or if you feel love, do you actually feel something different than if you feel God, you know, or you feel a force or something like that? So, uh, you know, the, certainly the concepts of love uh, and compassion are very fundamental to, to a lot of these experiences. Um, love often has a lot to do with the connection that we make with somebody or something else. And so that when people have these intense spiritual experiences, you know, certainly one of the fundamental characteristics is a sense of unity. You know, we talk about that in our book. Um, and, yes. uh, and that sense of unity often is regarded as love, although love also has the emotional characteristic along with it. Um, but it is that sense of connection and that profound sense of, of, of peace um, and, uh, and happiness and joy that can come with that connection. So, uh, you know, I think love is a very fundamentally important emotion, obviously, that we have to consider and understand and see where it comes into play in the context of spirituality. Uh, you know, is, 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 is when we say we feel spiritual, is that love all, you know, is that love, um, you know, and, and, yes, and what yes. are the elements of it? Is it love? Is it awe? Is it connection? Um, is it all of them? Uh, so, you know, that's a, a very, uh, very important issue yeah, for us to think about. And we need to learn, you know, again, it's, it's asking the questions. What, what does everybody think about it? And what, you know, how do they differentiate? Right, right. And of course, I mean, there have been some interesting brain scan studies. We, we haven't done them, but um, where, you know, clearly there's a distinction between um, sort of the acute form of love, the, the sort of, you know, the, right. the being in love that you get when you first meet somebody and that sort of, you know, that honeymoon phase type of thing. And then the more consolidated version of love when you've been married for 20 years or whatever. Um, you know, it's, there, there are differences to that. And, um, 
and so you know love and uh, i think i heard your dog bark and so you know there's the love <laughs> you have i don't know i have dogs so um you know there's the love you have for your dog and how is that the same or different than the love you feel for your child or something like that and then and then of course what do other animals feel you know um i think my dog is pretty much in love with me and, uh, oh, absolutely! I have an animal communicator <laughs> coming on next next week, or I'm interviewing her, and her stories are just are just so beautiful. Well, I um, is there anything you'd like to say that I didn't didn't ask? Well, I mean, there's uh, an infinite number to go over. <laughs> Lot to say. <laughs> I do have to bring up your analogy of um, popcorn, explaining how everybody can come and become enlightened. And you know, just some of us pop, and some of us don't. I I happen to be a big pop popcorn That's fan. Good. So. Well, I I hope we all get to that uh, popping phase at some point. Yes, yes, me too. Well, thank you so much. This has been you. Um, you're very easy to talk to. It's been really thank fun. You. So, um, if people want to find you, I know it's not that hard, but um, could you share? share with the audience. Uh, so I, I, I'm not as electronically uh, gifted as I should be, but yes. um, but I do have a website and that's usually the easiest way for people to get a hold of me. Um, Andrew Newberg, N-E-W-B-E-R-G.com. And they can find out about uh, the books uh, as well as the new ones and uh, the research articles yes. and the future work that we do. Um, and there is ways of connecting with me as well. So um, that's the best, that's the best approach for now. Great. Yeah, I can't wait to read your um, your new book with about the um, Judaism and mystics and where yeah the rabbi's brain mystics moderns and the science of Jewish. I can't wait to read my husband's Jewish. I can't wait uh, to read that one. Well, and you know, I mean, that's the next phase of a lot of uh, one of the next uh, directions that we'll be going in, which is looking at all the individual traditions. Um, you know, I started with Judaism because that's right. my background, but um, but you yes, know, yes. we can do a very similar treatment with. Catholicism and, and, uh, and various Christian uh, uh, denominations and Islam and Buddhism, Hindu, uh, you know, all, and shamanism. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, all the, uh, you know, all the earth, earth-based religions. I mean, it just keeps going on and on. So, um, uh, a lot of great, great stuff to come. Well, I can't wait to see what what comes out of your next phase of research. I'm curious and myself. Just thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you are. It's been a pleasure. So have a great Thank rest you. of the Take day. Care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.